Welcome to the Vegan Dharma Podcast. I am Laura Nadia, the Vegan Dharma Coach. You're about to hear from an amazing human, a story of how they embody their soul's purpose. Open your mind, your heart, and your soul to receive this message today. First, let's take three deep breaths in through the nose and out through the mouth. Breathe in through the nose, out through the mouth. Inhale, exhale, inhale, letting your belly get nice and big with air, and gently release. Now we're grounded and we're ready to invite our guest. Enjoy. All right, I am here with Jamie Castaño. We're at the grounds of Freedom Farm Animal Rescue in South New Jersey. We're here for a volunteer day. They've got a welcome day tomorrow where they're going to have visitors from all over come and get to greet the animals and see what it's like on the farm. So welcome, Jamie, to the Vegan Dharma podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started with the animal rescue? Tara and I lived in not a great neighborhood when we first started dating, and I worked late at night, so we adopted a couple large breed dogs, and then when we decided to move out of that bad neighborhood, we had such a hard time finding any place to rent because we had these large breeds, and some places were cool with large dogs, but then we told them the breed was German Shepherd, Doberman, Pitbulls, and they were like, nope, our insurance doesn't allow it. So we ended up finding a five-acre farm that was for rent, so I had called and I was like, listen, I'm going to cut to the chase, we have these breeds of dogs, is that cool? And the lady was like, I don't care. So we rented this five-acre farm. We love dogs so much, so we got more involved with dog rescues, started fostering dogs and working with different dogs that had issues, and we loved it. But since we had this five-acre farm and we worked with all these different rescues now and the local shelter, somebody had contacted us and they were like, hey, we've had this pig at the shelter for six months now, and you guys have five acres. Do you think you could just take her? And I was like, yeah, sure. I didn't know anything about pigs whatsoever. I thought pigs could eat anything and everything. So uh, we had a couple of cats. So I put out a bowl of cat food for this pig and went inside and jumped online. And I was like, what do you feed pigs? And it was like, one of the most common misconceptions is that pigs could eat dog and cat food. It's horrible <laughs> for them. I'm like running outside trying to grab this food away from her. So it was definitely, it started out as more of dog rescues of our own, adopting dogs out and doing a bunch of stuff involved with dog rescue. And then the farm animals was almost like a hobby at first. They were all rescued, but it was more so like, oh, how cool we just rescued a pig or how cool we just rescued some chickens and a goose, you know? And it went from that to horses to goats. And we had a lady that came to the farm. She did cat rescue and she's been vegetarian for like 40 years or something crazy and she had asked us we have all these chickens you have pigs you have sheep are you guys vegetarian or vegan and i was like nope and she said well you know some of these animals are saved from slaughter do you ever think that you're saving them from yourself and i was like well listen lady i'm not eating my animals so there's nothing wrong with this and i just dismissed her and never thought about it again and then a couple years down the road we had done a rescue involving a bunch of lambs from a feta farm and they had said all the lambs on this truck were all males so i was like well that's weird like what are the odds that every single lamb that they're killing is a male and i was told you know, oh well this is common practice at a dairy farm and i had no idea i thought even cows at that point that they just produce milk and were doing them a favor by milking them so same thing with <laughs> sheep and goats milk right stuff hey that's what they do they produce milk and at that point is when we started doing all our own research and it clicked and i was like holy hell that's when Freedom Farm really exploded, when we made that realization. 
and we went off in a whole different direction. Because even at that point, if we had 100 animals in the rescue, we thought, wow, we're doing really good. Look, we've saved 100 animals. Aren't we awesome? And then at that point, realizing that and then going to our first livestock auction where we had a guy tell us through Easter, they have 50,000 goats that go through in a weekend. And uh, at that point, I was like, wow, you know, we, we have 100 rescue animals. What are we doing? Like, it's not even going to drop in the bucket as far as saving animals. That and then the whole learning about veganism for the first time and learning about what animals really go through and kind of shocking myself with how much I didn't know at that point. All that is when Freedom Farm evolved and it really took off more towards advocating and educating people about what these animals go through. And I feel like even though we always considered ourselves animal lovers, that's when it really like, oh my God. And now I feel like the way that we love animals now, we've never imagined, you know, like uh, having such a deep relationship with you know one of the cows or with a pig or an emu (laughs) right right yeah I mean it's crazy when you think about it even I mean a hundred animals is a lot and it's a lot of work people don't realize you know a lot of vegans that are listening to this most of us have that dream one day I'll have my own animal sanctuary but are you willing to wake up at the crack of dawn every single day and be exhausted every day when you go to sleep (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, now we have about 250 residents here and the bulk of the work isn't even feeding the animals it's more so, you know, every day it's like this animal broke this part of their enclosure or, uh, you know, this shelter section got kicked down by one of the horses or this fence got smashed by a tree. <laughs> so we're making repairs constantly or building new things for them or expanding enclosures or expanding a fence line and then clean up, constantly cleaning up, whether it's tree branches, brush, cleaning up after the animals. It is a ton of work, but I love it. Yeah. I mean, I think the first time I came to volunteer here was right after a really big storm and there were just giant logs everywhere in the pig enclosure. So the pigs were limited to the space that didn't have all the brush and logs there. So we were doing heavy lifting and throwing the logs over the fence. And you think of farm work being, you know, mucking the poo and feeding the animals and maybe even a fence repair and stuff like that. You don't think about the logistics of just the massive amount of space. And here near Vineland, New Jersey, there's so many trees too. So you are susceptible to the storms so what is it like what's the day in the life like when do you wake up what are the tasks that you do so i'll wake up usually around six every day that's mostly because our dogs wake us up that's what time (laughs) they feel like going to the bathroom and once they're up and you know you hear their paws pitter pattering around you just wake up and you're like all right let's take them out and then at that point you know we'll take care of everything in the house you you feed the dogs you feed the cat you know you get your kid up and ready so i'm probably outside around 7 30 8 o'clock Feeding all the animals takes maybe an hour between prepping everything and feeding them. And then everything else is just working around, maintaining the farm, making sure that everything's clean, making sure all the paddocks are clean, making sure everything looks nice for all the animals. And then you feed all over again for dinner. Then you finally get inside when you're exhausted and it's dark out. And (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the the reason it only takes an hour is because you have this genius setup as well. Like you've got the truck with the trailer in the back and then you kind of made a road around all the enclosures. So you can take the truck with all the feed in the back and do it very quickly. Whereas some other rescues or farms, it might take them a few hours because they don't have the equipment. Right, right. right. Yeah, we were uh, we were pretty lucky with the way that the property was already set up. And then we took that when we were building all the pastures and enclosures to try to make it fit. That way we could have that roadway and kind of do everything as it's like stops along the road to feed everyone. 
Yeah, it's a little fun train tour that you can take around. You get to do a, a hayride here when you're volunteering and feeding them. So another thing I love about the setup as well is that when you first pull in through the gates, park the car, usually the turkeys are out. So the first animals that you run into are the turkeys. I call them the welcome committee. Mm-hmm. I think our friend Sharice that started these volunteer meetups was the one that coined that originally. But literally there's three or four turkeys that come running out. They have this mood on them, which is like, oh no, there's somebody here and we didn't greet them yet and they're just in such a rush to come out and meet the visitors and then they let out the plumage they're showing off all their feathers they strut around like they're on a catwalk and then they make the you know the little gobble 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 sound (laughs) and it's the cutest thing i've ever seen in my life so can you tell us a little bit more about your turkeys and their personalities their names so the welcoming committee that's always out, we have uh, we have Casper, we have Rusty, we have Frank, we have Francisco, and we have Blueberry. They're all males, the five of them. They all came from different spots, except Rusty and Francisco came in together. Everybody else all came in from different, whether it be owner surrenders or, or whatnot. They came best of buds, the five of them, and they do everything together. You never see one without the other ones right behind. They're quite the welcoming committee or uh, guard dogs, as you may have it. <laughs> If I'm in the back of the property and I just hear them all going off at the same time, that means there's probably someone in the driveway. (laughs) Uh, So I'll make my way up and there's always somebody here that they're already greeting. So yeah, they're wonderful for that. I think the reason why they're named the Welcoming Committee is because they're so curious of everybody that shows up. They want to check everybody out. They want to get to know everyone. A few of them were a little shy of people when we came up. I mean, they don't let you necessarily touch them. They'll come within like a foot of you, but they just don't want to be touched. A few of them were pretty skittish when we first got them and wouldn't come anywhere near us. But I think the fact that there's five of them together or I'm not sure what, but they love to greet everybody that comes. Yeah, so you talked about this with your story of being an animal lover and then kind of realizing that you're more of maybe a pet lover and then having the experiences in person of getting the bond with the animals. How does that feed into actually being with these animals in person and seeing their personalities, being able to touch them and observe them versus before you were able to interact with them? Conceptually, you know what the animals are, but then how did your mindset change when you were able to interact in person? Because it sounded like that was a huge step in you going vegan as well. Yes. I feel like before I was vegan, I really didn't have too many interactions with them in the first place, other than the ones that we already had. But we had potbelly pigs. We didn't have any farm pigs at that point. And we didn't have any cows. I mean, we had chickens, but I feel like everybody has chickens in their backyard. But I don't know. I feel like the ones that I did come in contact with, you know, you're so conditioned at such a young age. Like, yes, here's a cow, but this is their purpose. They were born here for us to eat. So you go up, you pet them, and you're like, wow, how cool a cow. You know, I got to see one. But there's still that, you know, oh, we need them for food. So that's what it is. I think a big part of what made me change was the fact that we don't need them in our diet. Considering myself an animal lover at that point before I was vegan, I thought, you know, yes, I love them, but, you know, we do need them in our diet. So it's unfortunate that they have to die, but what else are we going to do? You know, we have to survive. And that was my mindset through it. So it was like, you know, wow, I love them so much, but what am I going to do? You got to eat them. And then learning that you don't, that you're actually healthier without them. I was like mind blown by all of that. And we, and we had to do all our own research because I didn't believe hearing it from people. I was like, no, that's not true. I'm in my mid twenties at the time. I would know. <laughs> I love animals. I would know if this was true. And I couldn't believe that it was. So at that point I felt like it was a huge transition for me because I felt like I already loved them, but still ate them. So now to love them and have a different understanding for them and then that guilt that almost comes with it too that 
you can't help what you don't know, but then I felt guilty for so long too. Like, I can't believe that I called myself an animal lover for so long and I still, but again, I didn't know. So you just look at things so differently. Um, you look at them so differently and then you really feel sorry for what they go through. And that's what's, I think, so frustrating, especially when you first go vegan and you come to all these realizations and you can't believe it and you feel so sorry. You have that guilt and you feel bad for them. And then you're like, why doesn't everybody else see this? So it's very frustrating. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That beginner vegan phase. I talk about this all the time. I think we've talked about it on the podcast before that it's this feeling of everybody needs to wake up. Everybody needs to know this information. If everybody just knew, then they would change. Right. right. But the reality is people are motivated by different factors. And also, it's hard to come face to face with the reality of what happens to the animals for that being like the very first thing that get you to go vegan because it's it's harsh. It's violent. It gives you guilt, like you said. I think even the point that you had made is being an animal lover versus a pet lover. How many people that still eat animals every day that call themselves animal lovers to have that put in front of them where you can tell them like, you know, if you know that you don't need them in your diet, you present all these facts and they go, well, you know, I like them anyway. I like the taste of them. So I'm not going to say. And then you put in front of them, well, then you're not an animal lover, you're a pet lover. Because if you're knowingly causing harm and violence and death and consuming their bodies, when you know all these facts that you don't need them and you're not an animal lover, how could you be? How could you say that you love them and make this happen because you like their taste? You're just a pet lover. How many people get upset by that? Yeah, our friends just actually gave me a bumper sticker for my car a few days ago. And I asked, which one should I choose? Which one's the best? Because they had different slogans on them. And most of them say animal defender on them. And then different quotes underneath. And she picked out the one that said animal defender vegan on it. And the reason she said was because people will see the words animal defender and they'll relate to that. But unless you put the word vegan there, they won't make that connection that you can only really truly love all animals if you are vegan. I mean, it sounds harsh, but it's true, right? No, yeah, absolutely. It, even because I did dog rescue for so long before we transitioned over to farm animal rescue, I have so many dog rescue friends that are not vegan, but they'll be after somebody that they think is potentially abusing a dog or not keeping a dog in great conditions or not taking care of them properly. And they'll go crazy over a dog or a cat or, you know, and those rights that they believe that they have. But then if you say, don't you believe that a pig should have these same rights? Or you try to show them, like, we fight the same way, but for all of them. And they just don't get that. And that's frustrating for me, too, is people that I've been friends with for years and years and years. And I'll try to have real conversations with them, which everybody has different approaches, how they approach that, talking to especially friends about being vegan. I feel like it's always a touchy subject, especially with people you're close with. We'll have people that are like, I respect what you do, but don't push it on me. I'm like, listen. <laughs> so it's always a tough conversation as well. Having people that you literally fought alongside with when it comes to dog rescue and, and fighting for animals. And then now we've changed because we learned all these things. And, you know, it's been years now and we've been vegan and then we have these conversations about anything, really, when it comes to farmed animals that they still consume because they're not vegan. It's always a touchy conversation. Every year when the U1 Dog Festival comes up, they fight so hard. And they share everything on social media about how it's barbaric and how can we treat animals like this, mm -hmm. but they don't see the... They don't make the connection with right. the other types of animals. Right. So he's referring to the Yulin Dog Festival that happens every year in China where they keep dogs the same way that 
people in the West have other farm animals, so it's similar to how pigs are treated here. And then they use them and eat them for meat. And that seems horrifying to us because how many of us have grown up with a pet dog or your friends have a pet dog or even if you don't have a pet dog, you see movies and TV shows where people have pet dogs. Like they're just really glorified and respected here in the US and in the West. And it's not the same over in China. So they just see meat as food. A lot of places in Asia are like that where they'll just eat anything. And that almost makes more sense in a way, if you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> because why is dog meat so much different from pig meat, right? And on the same token, when you actually learn about pigs, they're not that much different from dogs. I keep calling the pigs and the cows, they're just puppies. Like the pigs are little puppies. The cows are big puppies. Their personalities are so similar. When you allow them to be free and to truly free range, like at an animal sanctuary, that's not exploiting them. Their personalities will come out. And when they start getting more accustomed to the humans, then you get to see like they're actually affectionate. They have emotions. They understand things. They're smart. And there's not that much of a difference between the cow or the pig at the animal sanctuary than your cat or dog at home. Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit more about all the animals you have on the sanctuary? We have all different kinds of species here. We focus on farmed animals. So we have, you know, the big farm pigs that are the industrial pigs, or as I call them, commercial pigs. We have dairy cows. We have cows that are traditionally used for beef. We have sheep, we have goats, llamas, alpacas, donkeys, horses, chickens, turkeys, emus, say ducks and geese, swans. We have a ton of roosters, pigeons. We're actually opening up to more animals. We're currently working with the state to help more animals. A lot of that is because we started doing visitor days. We have so many people here. We've had a lot of tough conversations with visitors that have come here because people all want to know their stories. And we tell them this animal came from here, this animal came from there. So a lot of the animals here, especially the cows, majority of the cows that we have are dairy breeds. So telling them about that. So when they ask, where did this one come from? could make it short and sweet and just oh he was rescued from an auction and that's it but the truth of it is he was rescued from an auction because he's a male he actually came from a local dairy farm and this is why why are the males at this auction so we get into all this and i mean we've had a lot of great conversations too where people are like holy cow i didn't know that so because we have all these people here and we're sharing all these stories and and hopefully changing minds and educating which is our intention we also wanted to help more animals too so we're actually working with the state and we'll be helping wildlife as well so we're not going to be doing wildlife rehabilitation only because i have way too much to do in the first place but we found out that a lot of wildlife that comes in if they don't have placement for them if they're deemed unreleasable where they won't be able to survive in the wild on their own they're usually euthanized so we actually have, we've had Canada geese here. They've been to different wildlife refuge around the state. They're supposed to be euthanized because they can't be re-released. So that's simple things. If they've been attacked or they've been hit by a car or whatever it is, and they can't fly, they're deemed unreleased. So if they don't have anywhere to go, they're usually euthanized. Not always. There's special situations in, in every place. And I don't know if every place has their own rules but that's what usually happens so we've been contacted by different wildlife places and they're like hey you know we have these geese they have a lot of life in them but they can't fly instead of euthanizing them can you guys take them and that's where the wildlife part of it started and then having the 43 acre sanctuary that we have we've had different wildlife refuges come and they said can we release different animals on your property instead of you know there's some rescues up in New York that work in the city. So the only place that they have to release them is Central Park or 
I guess they could go upstate New York if they really wanted to, but they brought a lot down here to release them on the sanctuary. And then because we're, even though we have 43 acres, we're surrounded by thousands of acres of woods. So it's the perfect habitat for wild animals as well. And then we figured if we took in animals that were deemed unreleasable, we could educate the public on these animals as well, as well as helping even more animals. So that's still to come. We were expecting we have a raccoon that's actually supposed to be a resident here soon. We're just working on his enclosure. And then the state did a state inspection here, which they absolutely loved us. And they pushed a whole bunch of applications for different permits because they want to be able to, if they have an animal pop up and the state needs placement for them, now they have a place for them to go. So we're happy to be working with them to do wildlife as well as farmed animals and being a place where people can visit. I feel like it'll be a good place to, one, it'll draw more people here, like a zoo. People will come to a zoo because they just want to see the animals. I feel like here they might come because they might want to just see the animals. But then at the same time, we have people positioned all over the farm that are answering questions or just coming up and starting conversations and offering their stories and educating people on why these animals are here. That was our biggest thing. Because like, yes, it's cool to go see cows somewhere or animals that you don't see every day. But the most important thing was why this animal ended up here. Mm. So that'll be for the farmed animals and for the wildlife. Maybe it'll help people learn the farmed animal part of it, make a change in themselves, and then also maybe help people respect wildlife. Yeah, I mean, my first time visiting a sanctuary, it was Skylands, and then luckily I went to a few other ones. I was already three and a half years vegan when I went, and it was such a lovely experience to remind me, this is why I do this. (laughs) I hadn't seen a cow in person or a pig in person. I hadn't seen farm animals in person or interacted with them since I was a young child at a petting zoo. And petting zoos, regular zoos, aquariums, all these places that exploit animals. And in many cases, they're bringing in exotic animals that don't belong here. Like, why do we have tigers here? They're not even meant to be on this continent. If you go to those places, yeah, we grow up thinking it's fun and wow, that's so cool to look at. But what's the point when they're funding this practice to exploit all these animals? And every time you go, you're just paying for more of that to keep continuing happening. So it's a beautiful thing for both vegans and non-vegans to realize that there's these animal sanctuaries all over the U.S. and around the world. Most likely there's one in your state or nearby that's within a few hours that you can go visit and see these animals in there. It's almost like a natural habitat or it's at least a habitat where they feel comfortable and you can get to know them and their personalities. So that's what I really love about the whole sanctuary experience. I'm so grateful that I was introduced to it this year and I'm grateful to be sitting here with you as well. And here on our Thanksgiving episode, talking about the animals and I'm sitting here with my sanctuary t-shirt that says hug turkeys and eat tofu. (laughs) So, you know, damn well, I'm not eating any turkey this Thanksgiving and neither are any of our vegan friends. And we'll hope that people consider omitting that from the meal. There's so many amazing alternatives. I think I'm going to be doing stuffed acorn squash. I'm going to a vegan Friendsgiving on Sunday and the lineup of the meal is just insane. It sounds so delicious. I'm already... preparing to have a full belly and yeah you can have an amazing meal and give your thanks without having to essentially sacrifice an animal as part of it yeah so i just really wanted to set this time for people to learn about the animals and also just a reminder about the turkeys as well don't forget the turkeys this thanksgiving because it's millions and millions i think it's 46 million just in the united states 46 million and that's just for one thanksgiving dinner that's not counting daily right. that's not consumption. for the year or 
it's that's just for that day. Yeah. So it can feel like you said earlier, it can kind of feel like a drop in the ocean. Like what impact is me saving a few animals going to be or me just not eating turkey at this one meal? But I'm only one person said a million people. Right. <laughs> right. Like you said, you started with around 100 animals and then you're like, what the hell am I doing? I'm still eating them. Because even if let's say you're one of those people that's like, OK, chicken is, is a health food or whatever. You know, the lies perpetuated by the food industry. Right. But if you're just eating chicken, you're essentially eating. Let's say you're eating one chicken a day doesn't mean you're eating the entire chicken but one of them has to die for you to have that right. chicken then every year you're eating at least 365 animals and that adds up so it can be a sobering thought to think back like how many animals did i kill even us vegans like most of us haven't been vegan since birth so it weighs on you you think about all of the thousands of animals that had to die for us to have these meals and grateful to them for nourishing us but then realizing i never had to eat those in the first place right so it can be a huge, huge shift for the planet, for the animals, for your own health to just start omitting the meat from the meal to start. Like you don't have to do all the things at once and go vegan overnight, but even just saying, I'm not going to have turkey this Thanksgiving just for one meal. And that's a big meal too, because we center a lot of our holiday meals around some kind of animal meat, especially. So that is one thing I would like to see happen this Thanksgiving. If one person listens to this podcast and said, okay, Laura, I'm not eating a turkey this Thanksgiving, then our mission here is complete. (laughs) That's all I want to see. So anyways, do you have anything else that you'd like people to know about the turkeys? Tomorrow we'll be doing a Thanksgiving for the turkeys as part of our visitor day. So in the middle of our visitor day, we'll be doing a Thanksgiving for the turkeys. We went out and we spent way more than what we will spend on our own Thanksgiving dinner just to give these guys their own Thanksgiving. We just built a picnic table for the turkeys. So it's this 11 foot table and it's the perfect turkey height. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so we went out and we bought a ton of stuff to give them a huge feast tomorrow. You know, just under a week before Thanksgiving. I'm hoping tomorrow is a big visitor day and I hope people that come out and the reason why we're doing this is because on top of the domestic breeds that we have, we also have six turkeys that would be considered meat turkeys. We actually just rescued one this week. He came from a turkey farm. The reason he was released is because he wasn't gaining weight fast enough to be slaughtered at this certain time when everybody else is going to be slaughtered. So he was released to us. He's doing very well. We hope to put him in with the other turkeys that are the same breed. The other ones were also rescued. They would have ended up on somebody's plate at some point, and they're here. So meat turkeys and the domestic breeds are all going to enjoy Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow. Aww. Yeah, so we're super excited about that. And I really hope that, like you said, even if there's you know a thousand people here tomorrow, I really hope that even if one walks away from that and goes, wow, you know, that was something very special and you don't think about it where, you know, we've had a lot of people when we promote this on social media that we're doing this, a lot of people think it's really funny and they're like, oh, that's hilarious that you guys are going to be giving a Thanksgiving dinner for the turkeys. That's funny. And although it might be a little funny just because it's different, we really hope that somebody will walk away with the message of what we're doing here and what tomorrow is really all about. So we'll be honoring them, even though that they've never had to go through what so many more like them have had to go through. We're showing them how turkey should be treated and how they should be honored. And so, like you said, I hope at least one person can walk away from tomorrow. And I hope we inspire someone to think differently tomorrow. Just one person, at least. So if they go away and, you know, somebody's thinking differently, I'm hoping that it sparks something. Mm. The ripple effect just from that could be huge because even, even for us, how our story all started and how from one thing it 
spiraled us into a whole nother direction. And then our sanctuary exploded as far as the direction that we're going in and then trying to educate people and all that. So hopefully that that'll inspire a change in one person and then she'll be able to affect one person and it continues from there. Yeah. So that's what I hope happens tomorrow. But yeah, as far as turkey facts, they're very uh, family oriented. Like I said earlier about the welcoming committee, those five <laughs> boys that came from all different parts. And now they're such a bonded family that they do everything together. They're super sweet. So like uh, the welcoming committee boys, they don't really like to be touched or, or cuddled or handled in any way. But hey, that's them to each their own. The six turkeys that are considered meat breeds, they are super sweet. Which when we first rescued our first meat turkey, I wasn't even sure uh, what to expect really. And they were just so sweet from such a young age. And I feel like they're where the welcoming committee turkeys that might be drawn to each other more. Mm. I feel like these guys are drawn more to us, which is incredible. And it's super sweet, but it's also super difficult too. Cause you're like, wow, you guys are so sweet and you trust us so easily. And this is how you guys are treated. Mm. So we're very thankful for the ones that we have here. And they're just a constant reminder as to why we, we shouldn't eat them, especially on Thanksgiving. So we're hoping that tomorrow when people see them and get to interact with them. So we're going to, in their little turkey yard that we have, we're going to have the whole feast set up and then we'll open up their coop. They'll all come out and they'll eat and then we'll be able to open their yard and people will be able to go in and interact with them or they'll be able to come out and roam the sanctuary as they do. So we're hoping that mixed with seeing how the Thanksgiving feast for them goes and then having them come out and being able to interact with them, hopefully that makes some changes. But yeah, they're super sweet. They're super curious. They're very family oriented. The mothers are fantastic mothers. And they're just incredible animals. Yeah, I think I actually ran into a guy when I was out in Utah a couple summers ago. There was a farmer's market thing and he had a pet turkey and it was just sitting on his lap and he was petting it. What he told me, and you can verify if this is true, its neck turned purple because it was happy. Have you heard of that before? I know that their neck changes all different colors. I always say it's a little mood ring. At this point, I don't know which is which. Um, <laughs> I don't know which color means what. You would think when it's super bright red or that maybe they're angry, but it's not. But yeah, sometimes they go, it almost looks like their whole head is white. Sometimes it's blue. Sometimes it's purple. Sometimes it's pink. I feel like the reason why I'm saying I don't know what their emotions are. I don't think they're ever angry here mm. or sad or what. I just feel like they're either excited or they're calm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that concept of them having the mood ring. Mm -hmm. So that itself is such a fun fact that they feel an array of emotions. And you don't think about that, especially with birds, because I feel like a lot of people, even if they're able to cut out the red meat and certain animals that they can relate to a little bit more, there's such a disconnection with especially birds and fish because people just don't interact with them. You right. know? So just spending some time around the animals can really change your perspective on it. And that's why I think it's so amazing what you do and what sanctuary owners are doing out there. And it's not just about, you might think like, oh, it's, it's not that many animals that we're saving, but it's even more than that. It's beautiful what you do for the animals, but also what you're doing for the people, that they can come to a place like this. You feel the energy is different. Like literally you get on these grounds and it just feels more peaceful. There's something about it that you can tell that it's called a sanctuary for a reason. Because there's no violence here. There's only love. And I just want to thank you so much for everything that you do. Every day you work so hard. And then on top of that, bringing the visitors in, doing everything for the visitors as well, all the advocacy. And then on top of it, being on the podcast. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Is there anything you want everybody to know? Please go vegan. <laughs> <laughs> and visit a sanctuary, even if it's just for fun. No agenda. 
we don't care if you go vegan or not. Just go to the sanctuary. Check it out. Spend some time with the animals. It can't hurt, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So where can people find Freedom Farm online or if they want to get in touch? So you can find us on social media. We have everything listed on our Facebook and our Instagram. We have our address. We have our phone number, email. We're uh, Freedom Farm Animal Rescue. We're in Cedarville, New Jersey. If you look us up online, there's like a Freedom Farm Sanctuary, I yeah. think, in Connecticut. There's a Freedom Farm in Tennessee. Popular name that we picked. <laughs> our logo is a heart with a goat face in it. We're pretty easy to find. Yeah, you could contact us through whatever and keep up with us on social media and find out when the next visitor day is or you know we also have done private tours you could also volunteer i tell people all the time too which i'm sure that you know because you volunteer when you do a private tour or even just a regular tour here on visitor day you get to come up and you know walk the whole sanctuary grounds and see all the animals but when you volunteer not only are you doing some work and really helping the animals here and helping the sanctuary itself but you get to do a lot more than just walk around like you know you get to go in these enclosures, you get more interaction with the animals. Yes. <laughs> We've had some people that, you know, they want to come and, and you offer them, like, would you like to volunteer on this day? Because, I mean, that really helps us out a lot. And they're like, oh, I'd rather do a tour. And you're like, all right. And then when they're there, they're like, can we go in with this animal that way? And I was like, you know, it'd be great if you did. And while you're in here, you think you could grab a scoop and uh, <laughs> some poop together. But yeah, contact us if you ever want to volunteer or, or take a tour and hopefully uh, we'll make an impact on you. Yeah, thank you so much, Jamie, and happy Thanksgiving to you, your family, and all the animals. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Vegan Dharma Podcast. Keep in touch. Add me on Facebook and Instagram, Vegan Dharma Coach. If you're interested in one-on-one coaching to find your soul's purpose, send me a DM. Remember, you are more than this physical body, and we are meant to embody our soul's purpose. The world needs you just as you are. I will see you on the next episode of the Vegan Dharma Podcast.